scripture reading now is Genesis chapter 13. We will read the whole of that chapter. Our text is verses 5 through 13 of this chapter. So let's take note of that as we read Genesis 13. I won't be rereading those verses, but 5 through 13 are the words of our text. You children who are in the lower grades for catechism class will be familiar with this, the story of Lot separating from Abram and pitching his tent toward the city of Sodom. Genesis 13, beginning at verse 1. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. There was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked, and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. The Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of memory, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar 
unto the Lord. Lot, who was the nephew of Abram, was a believing child of God. But the history of Lot's life as a believer is indeed a very sad history. Sad because although he was a child of God, he brought upon himself much sorrow and much grief in his life and brought that not only upon himself but brought that also upon his family. And our text really records when it all began. It began when Lot foolishly separated himself from Abram and pitched his tent toward the city of Sodom. Lot knew better. Lot knew better because Lot knew it was his calling as a member of the church not to separate himself from the church. And he knew that his calling as a child of God was to live antithetically in this world. A life of spiritual separation of which Abram and Lot were reminded daily by the fact that they lived in tents in the land of Canaan. They were pilgrims and strangers on this earth, distinctly different from the ungodly that lived around them. But Lot did not remain faithful in that spiritual calling and in the spiritual battle in which he must be engaged as a child of God and he no longer said no to the world. And that led to devastating consequences in, in his life and in his family. Lot was saved by the power of the grace of God. He was a child of God. He was forgiven all his sin through Christ, also the sin that is recorded in the words of our text. But he was saved, to use the words of 1 Corinthians 3.15, so as by fire. And this history, beloved, is a warning to us as the New Testament people of God. That's clearly set before us in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11, speaking of the history of the people of God in the Old Testament. The Word of God says to us there, 1 Corinthians 10 11, now all these things happened unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So in our passage, in the Word of God, in the text that we are looking at today, there is good instruction for us, there are pointed admonitions for us, and there are serious warnings put before us as well as the people of God. 
We need that. The Canons of Dort in Head 5, Article 14, points that out. When it speaks of God's work of grace in the lives of his people, it says this about it. Canons 5, Article 14, And as it hath pleased God by the preaching of the gospel to begin this work of grace in us, so he preserves, continues, and perfects it by the hearing and reading of his word, by meditation thereon, and, notice this, and by the exhortations, threatenings, and promises thereof, as well as by the use of the sacraments. The warnings of God's word are used by God through his spirit to keep us in the way of thankful obedience to God. And so as we consider this word of God for our applicatory sermon, then may we take to heart the warnings and the admonitions that are given us and the calling set before us to live antithetically in this world. The warning is, don't pitch your tent toward Sodom. The warning includes this, the consequences for you and your family can be devastating. And the positive calling of God's people is, as summarized in Deuteronomy 33, verse 28, Israel shall dwell in safety alone. That is, Israel will dwell in spiritual safety. We and our families will live in spiritual safety when we live alone with God and separate spiritually from the ungodly world around us. Those are the means that God uses to that end. Let's consider then Lot pitching his tent toward Sodom. Well, notice the occasion for it sinful activity and the grave consequences. Lot was one of God's elect. As such, Lot was a member of the Old Testament church. And the Old Testament church at that time was represented by Abram and his household. The true worship of God was found in the family and our household of Abram, even as that is mentioned in verse 4, and then again in verse 18. Abram built altars unto the Lord God. Abram worshipped the Lord God. God had established his covenant with Abram. Abram and his household represented the Old Testament church. And Lot was part of that. He had accompanied Abram when Abram had left Ur, and, and then when Abram had left Haran to go to the land of Canaan when God called him. And even now, Lot was still with his uncle Abram. And he did so because he knew God was with Abram. He did so because he knew 
that the true gospel was there in the Old Testament church that was represented by Abram and his household. He did so because he knew that the true worship of God was there. And he did what every believer must do. He sought membership in a true church of Christ. And he joined that church and he confessed his faith in that church, in the Old Testament church. And he lived with his family in the church and he raised his family in the church. And we know that Lot remained a child of God all his life. The Lord preserved him even when he was living in the city of Sodom. It might seem, as you read of the history of Lot living in the city itself, that Lot completely abandoned the faith and abandoned the Lord. But he was preserved. Second Peter chapter 2 speaks of that where it says concerning God in turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemn them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. His soul was vexed by the wickedness of the city of Sodom because he was a true child of God. And as a child of God who lived in the church and who was a faithful member of the Old Testament church when he was in it with Abram, he experienced spiritual blessings from God. He worshipped God with Abram. He heard the true gospel. He heard the promise and was assured of the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ for him personally. He enjoyed fellowship with fellow believers in the Old Testament church, believers who could encourage and help and strengthen one another as pilgrims and strangers on this earth. But Lot despised those blessings and those gifts of God. He did not value the Lord's abundant provision for the needs of his soul. He was ungrateful for all those gifts from the Lord. He took life in the church for granted, and then he sinfully turned his back on it all. And that was evident in the strife, in the fighting that took place between Lot and Abram. There was a strife between them, verse 7 says, between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. Now, both Abram and Lot were wealthy. 
Lot had been given an abundance, and God had also provided an abundance of flocks and herds for Abram. We read in verse 6 that the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together. And the issue there was not that there wasn't enough land, but the issue was that they could not dwell together because it was Lot's purpose and Lot's desire to have a separate flock from the flocks of Abra. Really, Lot created that problem because Lot wanted to be independently wealthy from Abram. He wanted to be rich in his own right. He wanted a name for himself in the land of Canaan. And no doubt he stirred up his herdmen to fight against the herdmen of Abram for the best of the land. So Abram spoke to Lot. And Abram said to Lot, verse 8, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee. Abram showed spiritual maturity, showed godliness, and he addressed Lot concerning the fighting. Probably this wasn't the first time. But the fighting had continued, and it had become necessary for Abram to speak to Lot again about this. And he says to him, Lot, we shouldn't be fighting. Let there be no strife between us. And then Abram gave the fundamental reason for that at the end of verse 8, for we are brethren. Yes, they were related to each other by blood, an uncle and a nephew, but that's not what Abram has in mind. More importantly, what he is referring to is that they were brothers in the Lord. And he was saying to Lot, Lot, we shouldn't be fighting against each other because we are the church. We are the people of God. We have the same calling. We serve the same Lord God in heaven, we worship at the same altar here. And the church is small, Lot. We need each other. We need each other for spiritual support and for spiritual strength. And we ought not to be fighting against each other in the church. Such pointless strife between us over such an insignificant matter as land for our cattle. Abram was right. The strife was pointless. And the strife was pointless because there was no doctrine and no biblical principle and no truth of the word of God that was involved in this strife. Sometimes strife is necessary when the truth 
is at stake. And if the truth is at stake, then we must stand up against the lie and defend the truth and defend the cause of our Lord Jesus Christ and his truth in this world. But strife concerning other matters, strife concerning practical matters, strife concerning earthly matters, as was taking place here between Lot and Abram, is sin. Brethren in the Lord may not strive over those earthly things. They may not be contentious about them. They may not be argumentative about them. They may not be judgmental of each other concerning those things. And they must be willing for the sake of peace in the church of Christ to give in, to suffer loss even to let go of one's personal opinions and to let go of one's personal preferences for the sake of the unity of the church of Christ. Because, as Abram said, we are brethren. And Abram, in harmony with all of that, did all that he could to settle that strife. And so he said to Lot in verse 9, Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. Now, Abram didn't have to do that. Abram could have said to Lot, this is my land, Lot. The Lord has given this land to me, and you either stop fighting, or you just get out of this land that the Lord has promised to me and my seed. But Abram denied himself and denied himself for the sake of peace in the church and he said to himself, the truth is not at stake here. This is only a question and a matter of earthly possessions. And I will get up, give up what is mine for the sake of peace. Abram said that, and Abram could say that by the grace of God because Abram lived by faith. And as a man who lived by faith, he was not focused like Lot was on the earthly Canaan. He was not focused on money and riches and progress and success and a name and a place for himself in the world. But Abram was focused on the heavenly Canaan. Hebrews 11.10 He looked for a city which hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. 
man of faith. And so Lot was given the option from Abram to choose where he would live. And Lot lifted up his eyes, verse 10, and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. There were two different kinds of land that were available to him. One was ideal for cattle, lush, with green pasture, plenty of food for all of his stock. It was compared, as verse 10 points out, to the best of the land of Egypt and even comparable to the garden of the Lord, that is, to the garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve lived. The other, in comparison, was desert-like. Not the best, not so good for cattle, at least not as good for cattle. And so from an earthly viewpoint, it was very easy for Lot. He chose the well-watered land. He would now prosper he would become rich, and he would gain quite a name for himself in the land of Canaan. But there was something which Lot failed to take into account, and that was that that good land lay near the city of Sodom, and for Lot to choose that land was for Lot, as our text points out in verse 12, was for Lot to pitch his tent toward Sodom. And he knew what Sodom was like. He knew of its reputation as that's described in verse 13. The men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And we know what that wickedness was. That wickedness was the sin of homosexuality, the vilest of sin, man given over by God to the worst of sin and evil, sin that is too evil and too disgusting even to talk about, a world and a city that was ripe for the judgment of God, that is for God's eternal wrath upon the inhabitants of that city through the fires of hell that would soon come upon them. That was the city of Sodom. And Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. And we could very well ask, what should he have done? What ought he to have done? Well, the least that he could have done was to have said to Abram, Abram, this is your land. You choose. And then I will take the other part. But in reality, he should not even have done that, but instead, he should have repented of his sin. And it should have come to his mind that Abram's proposal of separation between them should have stung him 
and humbled him to say to his uncle Abram, you mean to say, Abram, that I must leave you, that our strife has come to this, that the only solution is that I must separate from you? I have to leave the church. I have to distance myself from where the true worship of God is. I have to distance myself from where the truth and where the gospel of Christ is faithfully proclaimed. I cannot do that. I cannot separate from your household and the church and the true worship of God, and the gospel of the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, beloved, this was for Lot a matter of the antithesis. This was a matter for him of keeping himself and his family spiritually separate from the ungodly world and safely in the church of Christ. Either he seeks the world and he moves closer to that world, he pitches his tent towards Sodom, or he seeks peace with God's people and remains in the church. Either he seeks the riches of this world or he maintains what he has, fellowship with the people of God and fellowship with Christ and fellowship with fellow saints in a church that is faithful to the truth of God. But Lot chose to pitch his tent towards Sodom. For the sake of riches, he separated himself from the church. For the sake of earthly prosperity, he separated himself from the true worship of God. For the sake of having a name for himself, He separated himself from where the gospel of Christ was faithfully maintained. What about you and me? We have the same calling, the the antithesis as those with whom God has established his covenant, we are the friends of God who must not be the friends of the ungodly world. The same calling to live antithetically. We face the same temptations too. The ungodly world around us offers offers us its riches, its wealth, its pleasures, its success. And we are tempted, are we not, to want, to desire 
to be rich, to be covetous, and even to think to ourselves sometimes, if only I have this or this or this, then I will be content, and then I will be satisfied, and then I will be happy. And sadly, many confessions, confessing Christians fall into sin in this regard. And like Lot, they forsake the church and they forsake the true worship of God and they forsake the truth of Christ and they forsake their fellow saints to pursue those things in this world. They include themselves or involve themselves in Sunday work. Or they involve themselves in moving away from the church for the sake of a better job or a better income because the church doesn't come first for that. And they claim, I'll be fine, I will. I'm strong enough spiritually to do something like this. God's word to his people through this passage, beloved, to those whom he has saved, to those whom he has justified in Christ, and to those whom he sanctifies by his Holy Spirit, is never do that my people, never do that. And never even for a moment consider doing such a thing. And think of it, beloved. Why would you forsake Christ's church and his truth? Why would you take yourself away from Christ? Why would you young people for example, choose and pursue a job or a career or even a boyfriend or a girlfriend that takes you away from that? And why would any godly parent take himself and his children away from where the truth of the gospel is faithfully proclaimed. We're called to live as an antithetical people of God in this world. And Lot's decision had grave consequences. The ungodly would say to Lot, Good decision, Lot. You're all set now. Now you can live a comfortable life in this world. Now you can succeed. Now you can have whatever you want. Now you will reach a level of happiness and contentment that you could never attain before. But spiritually... This was the worst decision possible, as we well know, because he separated himself from 
the church and from fellow believers and from his Lord Jesus Christ. And now he lived as close as possible to the world. He pitched his tent toward Sodom. He exposed himself and his family to the influence of Sodom. And then as he and his family lived in that tent, which they pitched toward the city of Sodom, and woke up every morning and stepped out of their tent, the first thing they saw was that city. A city to which by nature they were attracted. Lot was not immediately in Sodom. No doubt he said, I'll stay out. I'm strong enough to keep myself and my family out of that wicked city. But the next we hear of him in the book of Genesis is that he is in the city of Sodom. He had abandoned living in a tent. Tent dwelling, which was a graphic and direct reminder to Abram and to Lot and to the people of God then that they were living as pilgrims and strangers on this earth. The result was that he lost everything. He lost all of his wealth, yes. He had nothing left when he left Sodom. But that was not so bad, really. Because what Lot lost was his whole family. They perished. And who was to blame? That was a consequence of whose sin? By wonder of the grace of God, Lot himself was saved. He was a child of God. And he was not saved because of himself. If there is anything that this passage demonstrates clearly and without question, it is that no one's salvation is because of himself. He was saved as a man who put himself as near as possible to the world. He was a man who was saved as one who endangered even the life of his own soul and vexed that soul every day as he lived in the midst of an ungodly city. Still, he was saved. Saved because God saved him. Saved by the power of the Lord. Because as 2 Peter 2.9 says concerning Lot, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. He was saved, but as by fire with the loss of all things. He lost his family, and he suffered spiritually in his soul every day that he lived in that wicked city. 
And he ended up a poor, a wretched, a lonely, and even a homeless man living with the sad consequences of his sin. And so God, in his mercy and love for us, beloved, warns us against doing what Lot did. One of the beautiful truths, beloved, that we believe and confess is the truth of God's covenant that is established by him with us and with our children. A precious truth. God saves believers and their seed. As he said to Abram, I will be a God to thee and to thy seed after thee in their generation." That's the Lord's promise to us. And that's a promise that we see God fulfilling in our generations. We see it in our families. We see it in the church, the Lord's faithfulness to save us and our families. We not only see it, we experience it. But God uses means to that end. Not this, that you live as you please in this world. Not this, that you pitch your tent towards Sodom. Not this, that you live separate from the church of Christ. But God uses the means of keeping his people faithful to him living antithetically, living separate from the ungodliness of the world and from the ungodly of the world, and living positively in the church and being faithful as a member of the church and sitting under the preaching of the gospel with our family. So that in our lives, the church is first and the church is central. And that doesn't mean that God is dependent on us and our activities and actions. But the fact of the matter is, as the text makes plain, that sin in this regard has consequences. Those who forsake the church, usually, unless the Lord is merciful, usually go lost in their generations. And so the question is, where are we pitching our tent? The question is not, are you already in Sodom? Are you already one with the world of the ungodly? But are you heading in that direction toward Sodom? Getting closer to the world. Getting closer 
to the influence of the ungodly, exposing yourself and your family to the attractions of the world. Even by allowing that ungodly world, which Sodom represents, allowing that into our homes and into our lives through its entertainment and its music. Are we pitching our tents toward Sodom, even in that regard? Positively, the Lord's calling for us as those thankful for God's covenant salvation of us and God's friendship of us and God's salvation of us in Christ is this. We live the antithetical life of pilgrims and strangers in this earth, separate and keeping ourselves separate from the ungodly. That's the blessed life. covenant life with God, friends of God and not of the world. You see, beloved people of God, the antithesis is not a negative thing. The antithesis is a very positive thing. This is the positive thing of the antithesis. The ungodly are not our friends, but positively God is. God is our friend in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And because God is our friend, on account of God establishing his covenant with us and with our seed in our generations, then God comes first in our lives and the church comes first in our lives. Because then we are where Christ is and where his truth is then we and our families are where we hear the gospel concerning the forgiveness of our sins in Christ. Then we are where we hear the word of God that is the means to give us spiritual strength to fight against these temptations in this ungodly world. The courage to fight. And then we are where we will hear the word of God that gives us the comfort, the comfort of knowing that we belong to Christ and the comfort of knowing that the Lord is our strength and the Lord is our shield and our defender and the comfort and strength and grace that keeps us faithful and that preserves us in our generation as the people of God. As thankful believers, may we take the warnings of Scripture to heart, this warning too. And out of thankfulness, live as God's people in this world, in fellowship with Him, and not pitching our tent toward Sodom and praying earnestly, beloved, praying earnestly that God 
be pleased to give us the strength to do so, and that he preserve us in our generation. May God do so. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we give thanks that thou art our covenant God, having established thy covenant with us, and now setting before us our calling as the people of God in this world. Strengthen us to be faithful to thee, to keep ourselves and our families unspotted from the world of the ungodly, and to dwell alone and safely with thee and in thy church and with thy people in the midst of this world. In Christ's name we ask it, seeking grace and strength from him. In his name, amen.